All right, friends, I see it's time. Hello, my friends, my Bible study friends, my Roman scholars, my Tuesday night heroes. <laughs> How good it is to be together, isn't it? Just love being in the Word. And uh, again, I am so grateful for the wonderful comments that some of you are sharing about um, this study has just been opened some new doors of understanding, and it's just uh, the Word of God is amazing, isn't it? How, what it's doing and how it's teaching us and growing us and giving us all that we need. So um, we're going to continue that tonight as we dig into chapter 20 or study 28, Romans chapter 12. We're turning a corner today, which we'll talk about. We're getting into the second half of Romans. You know, so the first half is all a lot of doctrine and theology, and the second half is a whole lot of, now what does this mean? How do we practice that in our lives? So um, we'll be um, digging into Romans chapter 12. A couple quick announcements before we pray and dig in. Next Tuesday, don't forget to vote, right? Which means what will be down here Tuesday night? Voting. Voting. So that means we'll be upstairs next Tuesday night. So um, don't forget to vote. Uh, that's We're going to talk about that in Romans, why it's important for us to vote. Uh, that's coming up in our study. Uh, so next Tuesday, we'll be upstairs in the sanctuary. Those of you who are online, same thing. Uh, we'll be in a different place, but uh, it doesn't change anything for you. Uh, then um, somebody wanted me to say something about the Saturday seminar that's coming. So, you know, on this, uh, we've done those seminars from time to time. It's just a Saturday morning like four hours uh, just to really do a little more than just an hour study, uh, but just to pour into a topic or something. And this one is called The Secret of Contentment or The Secret of Happiness. The whole thing is based on the Philippians passage where St. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and all circumstances, whether hungry or well-fed, whether in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I was coming out of some junk in college was in a really bad place, and it was that verse that sort of saved me. That was the verse where I said, I want that. <laughs> I want to be content. Even though I, all this junk is going on in my life right now, I'm in a bad place, I don't want my life to be, my happiness, my joy, to be dependent on the things that are going around. I want to know the secret of contentment. And that led me into this deep dive into trying to understand uh, that passage, the secret of contentment. And uh, from that grew this Bible study, and um, that's what I'm going to share uh, when we get together on that Saturday, the secret of contentment in any and all circumstances. Saturday, what day is it again? I couldn't tell you. The 22nd of April. It's a morning, Saturday morning. Yes. It will be recorded. So you can sign up online for that if you'd like uh, on our website, or there's sign-up sheets on the boards that you can sign up as well. be nice if we knew how many were coming so I can get the right amount of materials ready. So it's just going to be a fun time in the Word, uh, a fun time letting God encourage us as we work through stuff together. So we'd love to see you there. Um, unless we have too many people, we will be down here. Uh-huh. Yep. All right, uh, that being said, let's have a word of prayer, and we will dig into the Word tonight. Well, gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, how good it is, Lord, to be together on Tuesday night again, to be together in the Word. Uh, those of us who are here, those of us who are online, uh, we're just grateful that we can be uh, gathered around the 
inspired, inerrant, infallible word. We're going to talk tonight, Lord, you know this, about how important the word of God is to helping us understand your will, to helping us understand what life is all about. So we're grateful for that word that we can study. We're grateful that you will be here through your Holy Spirit to use that word to give us all that we need for understanding your will and then being able to put it into practice. So thanks, God, as we dig into this really important topic that so many of us struggle with and pray that when we're done, that struggle is not so bad. Uh, that we see how you're working through all of that to accomplish your plan and purpose in our lives. So bless us, Lord, as we love your word, as we study your word, as we grow in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Bible's open. We have a giant two verses to get through tonight. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, and what do we say every time we hear therefore? What is it therefore? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the re renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this is the word of the Lord we will study. All right, my friends, you heard me say we're, we're, we're changing a little bit uh, tonight. There's our beautiful word we just read. Uh, we're making a, a kind of a switch. So remember, this has been the outline we've been working through. We've been through the sin section. You want to go back and do that one again? No, thanks. <laughs> we've been through the salvation section. You want to go through that one again? Yeah, wouldn't mind. The sanctification section, we just finished this little parenthesis, remember that, of the sovereignty section, and now look where we're starting tonight. We've moved into the fifth and final piece of Paul's outline here of service. So here's the way my mind sort of just thinks about the genius of St. Paul, or really it's God's genius, right? God is the one that's working through St. Paul to bring the word, right? What does inspiration mean, by the way? We know St. Paul was inspired to write these words. Does that mean like one morning he woke up and he looked up in the clouds and there was the book of Romans? <laughs> and he just had to sit down and write it down really quick? Is that how God inspired him? Did he have a bowl of alphabets for breakfast and there was spelled out in his cereal bowl? Therefore, right? Was that how it worked? Did he hear a voice? Paul, grab a quill. We're going to write some stuff. Did it work that way? See, that's not how inspiration works. What God does when he inspires someone is he takes the person's, the person's gifts, the person's uh, experiences, the person's knowledge, and as the person writes down their experiences in the, in the word of God, or as they write it down, God is working through that person so that when it's done, it is exactly the way God wanted it to be. That's my best way of explaining inspiration. God works through people with their gifts and their weaknesses and all of that. And as he works through them, as they write it, when it's done, it's exactly the way God wanted it to be. So here's St. Paul slash God's genius in the book of Romans. What have we learned about St. Paul already? Dude is just logical as all get out, isn't he? He is, he is very linear in his thinking. Did you catch all of that? Maybe that's why I like him so much, because he would be a great PowerPoint writer. 
right? This is St. Paul would put together beautiful PowerPoints because he's so linear in his thinking, right? And, and he's got structure. Paul, when he writes a letter, there is structure behind each piece. And each piece, have you noticed this, builds on the one before it? That's what this therefore is all about. Therefore means we're building something else. You've learned this. Now what? How do we build on that? Because of all of that, therefore, here comes this. See, this is the way he works. This is his genius. So thinking about the book of Romans, right? The first half of Romans, you could say, and this is just a Dan thing, right? So I, I think the first half of Romans is St. Paul saying, here's what to believe. Here's the what about God. Here's the what about who we are. Here's the what about our brokenness. Here's the what about how he fixed it. The first half of Romans is what to believe. The second half of Romans then is how to behave. It's like now that you know all of this, here's how you practice it. Or Luther, another great linear thinker, another great writer and organizer of his thoughts, a great intelligent man, would say, what does this mean? Same thing. Now that you've learned these things, Luther would say, now what does this mean? How does this work out in practice? How does this show up in your life? What difference does this make in your day-to-day -day living? So the first half, what to believe. The second half, how to believe. Or another way to look at the book of Romans, sound doctrine, I think St. Paul would say, always leads to sound living. Right? See, this is his theory. Once you understand the truth, once you know the doctrine, that just translates into how you live. So think about what he's done for us already. This is just, I just sat down and started writing down some of the things that we've learned already in our Romans class. See how many of these you will say, yeah, I learned something about that, right? We've already learned, St. Paul's already talked about the righteousness of God, the sin of man, the worthlessness of works, the helplessness of law, justification by faith, the resurrection, peace with God, standing in grace, the promise of glory. Does any of this sound familiar to some of you? Just nod your head like this. You'll make me really happy, right? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the death of Christ, the atonement, uh, the atonement comma should be there. The union with Christ, the two natures, the effect of sin, no judgment for believers, sanctification apart from the law, the work of the Holy Spirit. We've learned a lot already, haven't we? The doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination, the doctrine of eternal security, the doctrine of God's faithfulness. Right? This is the first half of Romans. We've spent a lot of time working through these things already, haven't we? So now St. Paul is like, whew, man, that, this, you've had your semester break, right? You're coming back to class. You know, this is St. Paul. Now that you've learned all of that, therefore, <laughs> we have this great therefore in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, because of all of that, sound doctrine leads to sound living. So now comes the great therefore. Therefore, now that you know all of this, I urge you. And so the rest of our time together in the book of Romans is going to be, how do we practice sound doctrine? How do we live out sound teachings? Do you see? So let's just have some fun again. Romans has these four great therefores. 
Again, we're just talking about the genius of St. Paul, the genius of the book of Romans, this amazing document that you and I have spent so much time in. Right? What have we learned already? Just the beauty of these four therefores. In 3.20, we learned about the therefore of sin. In 5.1, we had the therefore of salvation. In 8.1, we had the therefore of security. And now today we have another great therefore, the therefore of service, of living out our faith in the world in which we live. What good does it do, St. Paul would say, if the book of Romans ended at the end of chapter 11? What good would it do if you had all the knowledge in the world but had not love? You heard that before? You would be a clanging gong or a resounding cymbal. See, that's 1 Corinthians 13. What good would it do if we had all the doctrine, but we didn't practice it? If it didn't show up in our lives and in our world, it would be meaningless. Meaningless. Right? So now we get to the great therefore of chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you. So are you ready to get urged? Right? Because we're going to get urged. Right? Our next uh, lessons, our next several lessons is about being urged. So how is he going to urge us? How is he going to help us live sound doctrine? How is that going to happen? What's the point of all of chapter 12 through 15, the service section? Right? If I had to sum up what we're going to do to end the book of Romans, it would be with these words. The true test of my beliefs is my behaviors. And that's on your outline, by the way, in your study book. So Paul is going to say, now that you know these things, here's the test. Does it show up in how you behave? Does it show up in how you talk to others? Does it show up on uh, how you live your life? Does it show up in how you arrange your priorities? Does it show up in how you use the gifts that God has given you of your time, your talents, and your treasures? Or... As I talked about it, you were with me this weekend at Celebration where I was preaching. Do we just look like everybody else? See, St. Paul says, if we're following this, we're not going to look like the world. He's going to tell us in this verse we just heard that we are called out of the world, not to be conformed to the world. We're different. So the true test now of all that we've learned is going to be our behaviors. And this is my prayer. I've said this to you before as we've been working through Romans. It's been my prayer all along that this will not be just an academic study for you. Do you know what I mean? Right? You've heard me say that? That I just don't want you to grow in your knowledge. I want you to grow in how you practice that knowledge in the world. I want you to be urged. And that's what St. Paul is going to do for us now. He's going to give us an opportunity to put our actions, to put our mouth where our mind is, following through on what we've learned. Okay, so we're starting a new section. We're moving into sort of a new kind of place. So how is he going to get at this behavior thing? Here's how St. Paul starts. He says, before you can change your behavior, you have to know what needs to be changed. Doesn't that make sense? Before you can make a change, you need to know what you need to leave behind and you need to know what you need to replace it with. If you've been with us these last two weeks in church, what were our two words? Two weeks ago it was remove. Last week it was replace. Right? This is the way it works. We, so he's going to help us now understand what it is that we need to do to be what God wants us to be. So he's going to talk about 
how to discover God's will for your life. That's where he begins. And do you see him working again? Right? He says, all right, the behavior is the key. So what does behavior look like? How do you know what God wants you to do? How do you know how God wants you to behave? How do you know what God's called you, how he's purposed you? How do you know what you're here for? What's your purpose on this planet? Why did God make you and put you here for such a time and such a place? You know that's not an accident, right? You know you're not here by coincidence, right? You know you're not just time plus coincidence, you know, equals a graduated gorilla. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not a, a great uh, uh, accident, but you are purposely created by God for this place in this time. So have you figured that out? Well, that's how St. Paul is going to help us from the start. Before we can talk about behaviors, we need to understand how we under, know what God's doing, how he's working in our lives. So he's going to give us these three things we'll talk about tonight from these first two verses. Again, these are not my words. Uh, again, I'm hoping you're seeing as we've been through Romans that I'm not inventing anything here, <laughs> right? I, I have the easy job of just presenting the word of God. And what do we see in these two verses? The Step one, St. Paul is going to talk about a thing called dedication. If you want to understand God's will, he's going to tell us that we need to be dedicated, uh, committed, sold out to listen, to hear what God is, is, what he's saying to us, and then being willing to do it. We'll unpack that in a little bit. Second, he's going to say we need, the word we're going to talk about is insulation. I think that word's going to work. I've played with that one a lot, but um, we'll see. But what he means is don't be conformed to the world. I'm going to try here and play with a little bit the difference between isolation, imitation, and insulation. We're going to mess with that a little bit tonight. I think he wants us, excuse me, to be insulated from the world. Um, okay, we'll get to that. Step three, transformation. If you want to understand God's will, you need to let him transform you. In other words, be changed by the renewal of your mind. Right? So these are the three things we'll unpack together from Romans chapter 12. You ready to go? Anybody want to know how to understand God's will for their life? Here we go. Dedication. Commit your total will to Christ. Here's how he's put it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So here's the thought. If you want to know God's will, you need to decide ahead of time to do God's will, whatever it is. Let's look at this sentence, right? We need to, to know God's will that begins with the willingness to say, God, whatever you do, however you call me, however you lead, I will go. It starts with that. And then once we understand God's will, we are willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish it. Here's what I do. Tell me if you've ever been caught in this yourself. I will say, God, tell me what your will is and if I like it and agree with it, I'm all in. See, this is what I do. This is not what St. Paul is talking about. St. Paul is talking about uh, understanding a willingness to sell out to God. A willingness to say, here am I, send me, with no qualifications. Here am I, send me, 
where I only want to go? No. Here am I, send me where it's comfortable and easy? No. Here am I, send me, God, wherever your will leads. So this is how he starts this understanding of this dedication to offer your bodies as a sacrifice. Right? This is offering to do whatever it takes. And what's the reason that we would do that? Right? He said it right there. Because of God's mercy. Because of what God has done for me, that's the motivation that makes me want to do for God. That's the motivation. It's not like so I can get brownie points from God, so that God will owe me some favors, you know. that, that We've talked about that before. But this is a response. You say right from the beginning, I am dedicated, God. I want to know your will, and I'm willing to go or do whatever it takes. Right? This is this dedication concept. So there's three characteristics of this idea of dedication. What does it look like? Again, we're on your, your outline. First of all, this dedication is voluntary. Uh, he said, offer your bodies. See, he did it. It's not a requirement. It's not a necessity. It's not do this or you can't be saved. Do this or God won't reveal his will to you. It's a voluntary thing. You offer your body to Jesus. You offer your body to God. Uh, and again, this, this idea of offering is so sacrificial in its, in its uh, thought, isn't it? You know, you, you, you don't keep it for yourself. But you offer it to God, knowing that because of his mercies, he will use it to do amazing things. Right? So, if, first of all, it's voluntary. Secondly, it's practical. He says, offer your bodies. You know, he didn't say offer your soul. Offer your spirit. Offer your mind. He says, offer your body. Why body? I mean, talk about practical. <laughs> Where your body goes, there goes your mind. There goes your soul. There goes your spirit. Uh, have you ever heard someone say, I'm sorry I couldn't be there, but I was with you in spirit. You go, well, yeah, that didn't really help. Right? You know, something about being there bodily, isn't it? It's a very practical, real thing. So the characteristics of a dedication is that it's not a, a mind thing. It's not an emotional thing. It's not a, a spiritual thing. It's a very practical dedication means, God, whatever your will is, my body's in. Wherever you send me, my body is in. Wherever you call me to do, my body is in. And guess what comes along with our body? Our mind, our soul, and our spirit. He gets all of us. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's a sacrificial giving completely and totally of yourself. Very practical thing. It's voluntary. It's practical. And then he said this. It's also complete. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Then if you stop and we're reading that and go, wait a minute, what is a living sacrifice? When we think of sacrifice, we think of dead things. Don't you? Right? I mean, sacrifice means you put something on the altar and it's killed. Or you, you know, sacrifice that you do something and it's done, it's over with, it's gone. But he says a living sacrifice. See, now what does that mean? I think if you put a living sacrifice on the altar, you know what it's going to do? 
it's going to crawl off. You know, so you need to daily, uh, a living sacrifice is a daily sacrifice. It's something that you do over and over again. It's living. It's not dead. It's not finished. It's not completed. The, this dedication is a living, ongoing sacrifice that you make. You see? So it's not a one-time thing. God, remember that time back in 1968 when I committed myself? That was pretty cool, wasn't it? It's so much more than a one-time thing. It's a living sacrifice that happens daily in our lives. So three characteristics of dedication, this dedicating ourselves. St. Paul says, you want to know God's will. You dedicate yourself completely and totally. What does that look like? It's voluntary, it's practical, and it is a complete daily giving of self. You're never done in this thing, are you? Never done. All right, making sense? Please, question. <laughs> yes. Are you telling us about your day? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. You know who you sound like? I remember St. Paul said, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I hate, this I find myself doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will I deliver me? Who will save me from this body of death? How can I do this hard thing? And what's the answer? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. The strength to do this is not you. Right? This is all the first half of Romans. We're, we're now on the second half. Right? Now that you know that you're loved, that you're forgiven, that you're redeemed, that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that you are empowered, that you are enabled, now you can tackle this stuff. Because you know it's not you. It's God working through you to do things you could never do on your own. Will you fail? Of course, we will. But who's there to love us, pick us up, dust us off, and say, let's do it again? That's God. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes we Christians, like we, we think, man, if I'm just, if I just love Jesus, everything's going to be easy in my life. I don't know who ever told us that. Maybe some of these preachers on TV. I don't know. <laughs> but the Bible never said that. That's for sure, right? It's not easy. In fact, Jesus literally said the exact opposite, didn't he? He said, anyone who follows me is going to have to take up a cross. That's what he said. He said, and don't worry, just as they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So it's not going to be easy. But guess what? If it's hard, praise God. Because that means your spirit is alive in this broken world. If it's easy, I would really worry. Do you know where I'm going with this? If doing these things is easy for you, then I'm guessing you're not doing these things. You know what I'm saying? Right? So it's not easy. But if it's not, that's good. That means you're fighting with this broken world. You're fighting with self. Mark, you got a mic? Are you passing around? You might want to just stand over here by Marty. I'm just saying, you know. I'm... Um, this stuff all sounds really good, but it's not normal. I bet you each one of us, every day when we get up, 
we want to volunteer bodies, we want it to be practical, we want it to be complete. But then after lunch, it just all goes away. So it's 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 not a normal thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> See, Marty, this that's great. That you know what? That's why St. Paul's writing this. Because he knows that. And that's why he's writing these chapters for us. Because it's not easy. It's not normal. It's hard. And that's why we need to know how to do it. That's what this is all going to be about today. How do you do it? Where does the strength come? Where do you learn how to do this? And just a little heads up. I'm giving you a little foretaste of the feast that's coming. God's not done with you yet. You know what I'm saying? He's still working on you. He's still growing you. You're, every day, God's chipping off an old something. Every day, God's building a new you. Every day, we're going to hear, you, your mind is being renewed. This is the word that we read in Romans 12, right? We're a daily renewal of our minds, which is going to give us the power to make those changes. So hang in there. God's not done with you yet. Some of us, he's got a lot of work to do, doesn't he? All right, anybody else? It's hard. And, and no, so we've got the word, but guess, look at this class. Did you hear anybody say, yeah, you're a really bad person. I'm glad I'm not like you. No, because we're all in the same boat. We're all patting each other on the back and saying, okay, hang in there. I'll hang in there if you hang in there. I'll pray for you. If you need help, give me a call. We're here for each other. That's another gift God's given us to help us be better at this kind of stuff. Good? No long faces. So how did he say it will look like when we're, when, we com when we're complete, when we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? He says it will be holy and pleasing to God when we do that, and it will be our spiritual act of worship. We're going to unpack those two things a little later. But for now, this is just part of his words about what it looks like to offer your body as a living sacrifice. All right. Let's move on to the second word, which is the insulation word. Uh, like I said, I'm, I, I messed with this word for a long time. But here's what St. Paul said. The second way to understand the will of God, to the second step to understanding God's will, is to not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So the word I, I picked here is insulation, not be conformed. One of the reasons we're not dedicated to the Lord, I think, is because we're more dedicated to the world. Jesus said you can't have two masters. You can't serve both God and the world, is what he said. You'll either love one and hate the other, or you'll hate one and love the other. See, so, he, you know, this is the challenge for us is to insulate ourselves from the world's pattern, right? What does that mean? The world, you know, when he says this word is not people, but he's talking about the world's value system. Uh, he's talking about morals and values, you know. Um, he, he's, he's talking about the, the system of the world that is so contrary to God's system. Worldview is the word we use a lot today. The worldviews that we live under, live under and live with, those are the things that we need to be so careful we're not patterning our world, our lives around. Uh, insulate ourselves from those things. The Phillips translation of the Bible 
translated this verse, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. See, that's, that's um, uh, did any of you guys have Play-Doh when you were kids, or maybe your kids or grandkids, Play-Doh? And you remember you would have those little molds and you would take your Play-Doh and you'd squish it all in there and you'd pull it out and you'd get your little mold thing, right? See, that's what, that's what this verse is about. Don't let the world be your mold. Don't let that be what shapes you. Instead, you're going to want to turn to something better, God's word, right? So this idea of insulating, uh, Charlie Brown said in his uh, cartoon, I can resist any pressure except peer, <laughs> peer pressure. You get it, right? You know, so, you know, the peer pressure that we live with is intense. You know, you think peer pressure only happens to junior high school kids? And high school kids, mm-mm. We're under peer pressure every day, aren't we? We face it, you know, from our family who will say to us, Dad, you're so old-fashioned. Dad, you can't talk like that anymore. Dad, you can't say those things anymore. I'm just hypothetically saying. <laughs> Usually it comes after, Dad, you really can't wear that shirt with those pants. <laughs> I hear that one. I mean, hypothetically, I've heard that one too. Right? So you think that we're not under peer pressure? Holy smokes. Right? We are. What's the word really for adult peer pressure today? You know what it is? It's this. Intolerant. That's the word which translates peer pressure. Right? What intolerant means is you got to change to be like everybody else. What intolerant means is you need to accept everything. It, what intolerant means is I would love for you to be squished into the mold of what the world is teaching right now. Do you see? So don't think that we don't feel this peer pressure, that we don't feel this pressure to change to the world's pattern instead of God's pattern. And Okay, when was this written? Yesterday? 2,000 years ago. Apparently, things aren't any worse today than they were then. Same pressures then, and the same pressures today. Every once in a while, we have a little pity party, don't we? Oh, man, things are worse today than they've ever been, right? I was, I, I had a, this is how God works. We're driving back from a meeting I had at Celebration, and we did a devotion about just um, the challenges that we're facing in the world today. And we had this pity party about how bad it is all around us. And in the car, I get in and I turn on the radio and one of my favorite songs comes on, Strange Days Indeed. Do you know that song? By uh, one of the Beatles, uh, Harrison, George Harrison, right? Did Strange Days Indeed, how peculiar, mama. And the whole song is about how, how things are so bad and how strange things are today. And I'm thinking, what? When did he sing that song? This is on my oldies channel. You know, so it's strange days today. It was strange days when Harrison wrote that song. I think that was in the 70s, maybe 60s, 70s. I'm guessing it was strange days when St. Paul wrote these words. Uh, guess what? What was Satan's strategy with Adam and Eve? I'm going to squish you into my mold, not God's mold. See, it's, 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 we're the same. Uh, 
You might think we're so much better, or smarter, or wiser than those folks thousands of years ago. Guess what, people? We might have better technology. I'm not sure that's a good or a bad thing. We might have, you know, cars and a lot of modern things that they didn't have. But morally, are we any different? Don't be squished into the squeezed, into the mold of the world. Many Christians, I think, here's what happens. When the pressure comes on, they go to two extremes. One is isolation, and the other is imitation. So isolation, right, when we're feeling the pressure of the world, these are the folks that pull away from the world, right? They say, we're going to be different than the world. We're not going to wear the clothes that the world's wearing that the world wears. We're not going to wear jewelry that the world wears. We're not going to have hairstyles that the world has. We're going to pull away uh, from the world into our own little farming community. And, you know, we pull away from the world. Or we're going to join a monastery, become a monk or something. Right? They, they isolate themselves from the world. That's one extreme. The other extreme is the imitation. They just give up and they, they imitate the world. They freely fly in the, with the world, live with the world, are molded and shaped by the world. Those are two extremes. Neither of them are good. Would you agree? Neither of them, I think, are God-pleasing. What God wants us to do, and this is where I came up with this dumb word, insulation, that we, we insulate ourselves from the, from the pressure of the world, but we still live in the world. We're in the world, as it says in the Bible, but not of the world. This is this fine line we try and walk between isolation and imitation. We try and be in the world, but not of the world. So I'm going to share with you. I see my, I don't know how my brain works, but here's my Chilean sea bass story. I have a friend who ranted and raved that the best fish he'd ever had in his life was Chilean sea bass. So we were, we were with him, and he took us out to his favorite restaurant so that I could have some Chilean sea bass, right? So we get this Chilean sea bass, lays it on the table. I take my first, needs salt. It was just like that dry, fishy, like just no flavor. And so I put some salt on it, and then it was better. So see, here's the moral of the story. If God can keep a fish that lives in salt water all its life and not let the salt permeate its body, then God can keep Christians in a non-Christian world and keep them pure as well. Do you see the logic there? Chilean sea bass. I wouldn't advise it. Uh, so you get the point, though, right? God is on our side. And he has the ability by his Holy Spirit to enable us to swim in this broken, sinful world without being infused and infected by that sin. God can insulate us by his powerful Holy Spirit so that we are not conformed to the world. You follow the logic, the crazy Chilean sea bass logic? Right? God is able. I'm not able. But God is able to do it. If he can do it with a sea bass, he can do it with me. So don't be conformed to the world. I think Paul is saying that culture is just a totally unreliable source 
for getting your guidance in life. We're talking about how to understand God's will. I think St. Paul is saying, if you want to know God's will, don't look to the world. That's probably the last place you want to look, to the world. right? That's a totally unreliable place. Most people, though, I think make their decisions based on what's acceptable to the world. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? This is okay, so I'm going to go there. This will be accepted, so I'm going to go there. This is not acceptable. I better not talk that way. I better not say that or stand up for that or do that. And instead of basing our where we're getting our guidance on the source, you know, we look to other places instead of God's source. So here's my thought. You're going to get your guidance from one of two places. It's either going to be the world or the word. That's it. There's two places where you can understand where God's will is for you. The world or the word. Now, the Bible has some great words about this. The Exodus passage, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. Do you see? Two choices, the world or the word. First John, the world and its desires pass away, but the person who does the will of God abides forever. What are you going to choose? The wor world or or the world. Say that fast three times, by the way. Right? Uh, see, there's two places. St. Paul is warning us and he's encouraging us. You want to know God's will? Then make sure you're looking in the right place, not the wrong place, the right place. So can we just talk about the influence of television? And I'm not pointing fingers because I am chief of sinners. How much television I watch a week does indeed outpace the time I spend in God's Word. Does anybody here believe that they read the Bible more than they watch television? Not a one of us. It, again, there's a lot of good in television too, isn't there? So, and I, I'm not trying to to guilt or point fingers, but. I don't know if we realize, it's sort of the frog in the kettle thing. I don't know if we realize how much of what we think comes from what we see on television. Do you know what I mean? Movies, news, whichever news channel we watch informs what we think is right or wrong. What we think of the stars of Hollywood that we see on television you know, uh, it is, we are profoundly influenced by the power of television. Would you agree? Now, I'm not saying, everybody, you need to throw your TVs away. I am not saying that. I am saying I would love to encourage every one of you, as I'm encouraging myself, to just think about how much of what I know about God's will, how much I know about what's right or wrong, how much I know about life comes from the television, or comes from God's Word? Do you think I'm off on that, or is that fair? Yep. And see, for me, it's television. For my kids, there's been a switch. You know what I'm going to say for my children? It's not so much television anymore as it is their telephones, their, their devices. You know, that's the new platform, I think for where people go to get information these days, you know? I mean, it's crazy. If you want to know something now, you don't even have to. All I need to do is say, hey, Siri, I had to cover my watch, you know? And then I'll get an answer. 
How do you know if that answer is right or wrong? But we are so profoundly influenced by television. So I would just encourage you not to turn off your TV, but just think about what are you watching? And if you are watching something that you know is not biblical, fictional or something, just make sure you're filtering what you're seeing. Do you know what I mean? That you're, you're filtering it in your mind, thinking through what you're seeing. So what's the point that we're seeing in this section? Don't isolate, don't imitate, but insulate. Does that work for you, that word? I don't know. Anybody have a better word than insulate? Yeah, see, you're where I was too. All right, one more thing. This word conformed that he said, do not be conformed to the world, skizmatizo, right, is a unique word. It's from this word we get the word schism, uh, schism, uh, and oh, shucks, it's when an actor would take a mask and act a part, and then he would take a different mask and act a different part. It's a word like schism, like uh, mm, not coming to me. But anyway, the point of the conforming is it's wearing different masks. You know, putting on a, believing a different mask. Do not be conformed to the world. Like, it's almost like he's saying, here's your church hat. And then here's your work hat. And here's your friend hat. See, and we sort of conform ourselves to each situation. Do you know what I mean? And St. Paul says we can't do that. We need to be consistent. That's the conformed. It doesn't really come through and conform well uh, as it does in the schismatizo. All right, so now, third part. Transformed. How to be transformed. That's the third step. First, you are dedicated. You are sold out to doing God's will, no matter what, no matter where you are in. Second step, you're, you're listening to God, not to the world. You're insulated from the pressures of the world, and you're focusing on God's word. And then finally, the third part then is to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, that's his own words. This transformed word is metamorpho. We get our word metamorphosis from that Greek word. So a metamorphosis is more than just a change of color or shape. It is an essence. It's a change in, in being. Do you see? Like, what, what's a classic metamorphosis? A caterpillar, you know, gets in the cocoon, has a metamorphosis, and becomes a butterfly. Think that word when you're hearing, do not, or let be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not just a new way of thinking here, this transformation. It is a change in your essence. You crawl into your cocoon of God's Word. You crawl into your cocoon of, of being dedicated and insulated from the Word. And when you do that, God changes you. You have a metamorphosis. You think differently. And we're going to talk about how important that is, the thinking part. There is an absolute change in the way you think. And we're going to see how that works out. Uh, think of this. There's just two passages I want to share with you that, that talks about this metamorphosis. First John 3, dear friends, now we are children of God. 
But listen, what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, John is telling us that now in our sinful, broken state, we're still children of God. But when Jesus comes, when we see him face to face, when that day comes, when he takes us by the hand and he brings us to the place that he's prepared for us, and when we stand around the throne of God with those amazing living creatures and all of the angels and all of the saints of God, and we are in the presence of God, something is going to happen that changes us. Do you see that? And we will be like what? We will be like Jesus. So the change that God wants to do in us is that we will all become more Christ-like. You heard that before? That's a theme in the New Testament, that God is working to make us Christ-like. And how does that happen? This metamorphosis, this change happens when we see Jesus. The more we see him, the more we know him, the more we have this beautiful relationship with him, the more he is working that metamorphosis, that transformation of our mind. Do you, do you see? And finally and ultimately, that transformation is going to be complete when? When we get our heavenly bodies, when we get the gift of eternity, right? When all the marks of sin are gone and washed away and we are in his presence, the, the transformation will be complete. There's another verse that talks about this same thing. 2 Corinthians 3 says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed, guess what? Into what? Into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So do you see when, when, you know what this unveiled faces is all about? You remember when Moses in the Old Testament went up to Mount Sinai or up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and he was with God and he came back after being in the presence of God and his face was glowing like fire. It was so glowing that people couldn't even look at him. The glory of God, you know, was so present in him. And again, glow, you know, we think means a bright light, like a, like a headlight. See, it's, though it's not the brightness, it's the glory of God. The splendor of this transformation that Moses had from being in the presence of God was so incredible that he had to put a veil over his face or the people couldn't look at him. Right? So St. Paul, or, yeah, St. Paul says here, one day... With these unveiled faces, we're going to reflect the Lord's glory, just like Moses did. How cool is that going to be, right? When we're just reflecting the Lord's glory. Don't, this word reflect is another great word. Uh, uh, it's, by the way, they teach you a new word too, a hapax legomenon, right? That means it's a word that's only used one time in the entire Bible. There's not many of those. They're just a very unique word that's only used once. This is a hapax legomena. This reflect, as it says here, we reflect the Lord's glory. It's, it's, um, it's like a mirror is the, is the concept. It, it's not just a reflection of any old thing, but it's like a mirror reflects the perfect image of what it is that it's seeing. That's what's in this hapax legomena word. 
right? That what we were going to reflect is the Lord's glory so that when people look at us, they're going to see an exact reflection of the Lord's glory shining through us. Can you imagine? Can you? This is what we have to look forward to. And this is what St. Paul says. If you want to understand God's will, this is what this is all about. You're going to have to be ready to reflect the Lord's glory to everyone and everything. And when that happens, the God's will just becomes plainly evident. You follow his logic, right? Don't you know some people who are so full of the Lord that they just glow with Jesus? They glow with joy and excitement of God. That's what we're going to be. And when we're in that, that's when we hear and understand God's change. More on this. I want you to fill in the blank. The secret to changing your life. Think about what we've learned so far. Right? The secret to changing your life. Why don't you just whisper next to the person next to you what you think the answer is to that? Go ahead. What do you think it is? What have we learned so far? The secret to being transformed. You know what it is? Change the way you think. The secret to changing your life is to change the way you think. That's what St. Paul said. It's the renewal of the mind that helps us change and to do God's will. To change the way we think. Now let me build on this a little bit. What does this look like? The Bible teaches, I think, that the way we think determines the way we feel. And the way we feel determines the way we act. That's the way it works. The Bible has kind of laid this out. What we think determines what we feel. What we feel determines how we act. So if this Bible truth is true, if you want to change your life, what do you need to change? The thinking. If you want to change your life, don't start by trying to change the way you feel. Don't start by trying to change the way you act. If you want to change your life to know God's will and do God's will, you've got to go to the root and change the way you think. Okay? I think it's nearly impossible to change the way you feel. A feeling is a feeling, right? I can't help the way I feel. A feeling is a feeling. You know what I'm saying? But I can help the what I think. And what I think changes how I feel. So if you want to change how you feel about something, you got to change how you think. For example, someone I know and trust and love was just saying today it's hard for them to not hate someone who would kill three little innocent children at a church school, right? It's hard to not feel anger and hatred and revenge that you want for that person, right? So how do you change that? How do you change those feelings? Do you tell me how? You just can't if you're focusing on changing the feeling. What do you have to do to change that? To change the way you think, right? That then begins to change how we feel. And once we change how we feel, that changes how we act. Right? You make this making sense. But we have this all backwards. 
we think in our minds that I just need to stop feeling this way. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to stop thinking this way. And then that will change you from feeling that way, which will then change you acting that way. This is, again, I don't think this is a Dan thing. I think this is a Bible thing. St. Paul said, transformation happens how? What did he say? His own words. By the renewal of your feelings, acts, mind, the way you think. So you see, what we do here is important, isn't it? Get our thinking straight. Because when our thinking is straight, our feelings are straight, and our acts are also straight. That helps us live in God's will, know God's will, and accomplish God's will. All right, you following great St. Paul's logic? He's coming. Okay. Um, to change the way you think about that subject you were just talking about. <laughs> right. Um, to change that thinking, you that you you think that that is between God and the person that shot those children. Is that the way you think? You would say things like you would try and change your thinking that I am not the judge. Right. You would try and change your thinking and say God will punish that person as God sees fit in His time and His way. God has told me to love my enemies. And pray for those who persecute me. So I'm going to love that person. I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to pray for God's justice to be done to that person. And I'm going to let go and let God. See, that's the thinking. Yeah. And once I believe that I can let go of that, then I don't have to stay up at night thinking, I hope that person gets it. Or that person really deserves it. Or, you know, because you've let go of it. You've learned to give it to God. It's not for you to care, worry, fret about, you know, so you see the thinking changes how you would respond to something like that. It's awfully hard with a lot of... Well, here we are again. <laughs> yes, it is hard. I agree. <laughs> right. But now see the next couple of slides, I'm, we're going to talk about how do we change our thinking? Because he's going to, St. Paul is going to get to that too. Okay. 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 Can you hand the mic behind you? Thank you. On that subject that she was just talking about, um, that the person who perpetrated those crimes was full of hate. And so if we also are full of hate, then we are the same as that person. In, New way of thinking. Yeah. We are just so as guilty. God wants us to be filled with love, and he will. It's, he's a just God, so he definitely does punish but that's not for us to do. Amen. Even if we feel it. And he forgives. Yeah, he forgives. He does. And so we need to do the same. Mm -hmm. As hard as that is. But again, these are really great examples of the process. Starts with thinking that changes our feelings. And what do we do with our leaders that, that, that hit us with all this hate and, and un injustice and then tells us, oh, vote for me. Guess what Tuesday is. <laughs> That's what we do with that. And we, then we have the next 12 months we'll listen to that for... Yes, we will. <laughs> and we got one guy that needs to go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, is it... Uh, 
Is it making sense, y'all? You know, it's hard. I understand, but we need to understand the process first. The one thing nobody has said was that the person that did this was mentally off balance. Had an illness. So, yeah. I mean, it, maybe it wasn't. You can't say it was, let's revenge on this person because it wasn't their fault in the first place. That's, yes, it's, um, that's a tricky subject, but I hear you. Thinking changes feelings, changes actions. So that person was obviously thinking incorrectly, which made them feel incorrectly, which led to acting incorrectly. If we don't think about things, nothing is going to change. Right. That's not good. We have to change, but what's your job in changing, Marty? I mean, you're right. So you want to change the world? You know I've been a big proponent. We can change the world. And how? It starts with you. Change you. Love God. Let that love show up in how you live, talk, act, and work, and just watch what God will do. That's where it starts. Each of us doing our part, being a little spark of light in this place where God has placed us, and that's what makes the difference. That's what brings the change. It is really, really hard to do. I agree. But remember who's on our side. Do you remember this Bible study? Right? With God on our side, we can do all things. God's on our side. Who can be against us? That was St. Paul. No one. There's nothing stronger. So let's do what we're called and watch what God will do. Yep. All right. I need to fly. How do we renew our minds? Right? We said it starts with that renewal, this thinking thing. So how does that happen? Well, check it out. God's will is found in God's word. This is on your study sheet. You want to know God's will? You want to renew your mind? Well, go to God's word. I am, you know, huge in the word of God. I've been blamed many times for being over huge on the word of God. <laughs> right? Because here's my thinking. I think most of God's will has already been revealed to us. Where has God's will been revealed to us? Most of God's will. In the Bible. I've, I don't know if I've ever found a situation in my life that I've been through that I couldn't find strength and guidance in the Word of God. I can't think of a time where there's been a question that I've had um, that matters. Not like, do animals go to heaven? I'm, I'm really confused about that. It's a 50-50 call for me. Right. But things that matter, you know, I've never once been let down by the word of God. Not once. Everything I need to know, I believe, has already been revealed for me in the word of God. I need nothing else. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is from David Allen, who said, when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. When you shut your Bible, God shuts his mouth. Now, that's pretty strong. But think about what it's saying, right? You want to know what God is saying to you? Then open your Bible. When you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. Do you believe that? You know the Bible is not just a dead, historical, old, dusty document. 
you know it's the inspired and errant infallible word of God. So when you open that word, God speaks to you, right? And when you close that word, you close your ear to God's mouth, don't you? So you want to know what God's will is? Know God's word. Love God's word. Read, study, mark, inwardly digest God's word, right? This is the how we understand, renew our minds. Uh, did you know Detroit Bible School has this great motto? Discovering the will of God by studying the word of God. What a great motto for a Christian school. How are we going to discover the will of God? It's so simple. Study the word of God. Yeah, so simple, but yet we look in every other place for God's will. Mm. Second, how do we renew our minds? Remember this, God's will never contradicts God's word. Here's what I mean by that. St. Paul said, even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. If you ever get a prompting, if you ever get a gut feeling that God wants you to do something that's contrary to the word of God, guess what? Don't do it. But someone will say, God spoke to me. And I'll say, well, if God spoke to you and it's contrary to the word of God, it wasn't God who spoke to you. Because these two things cannot contradict one another. This is one of the things that drives me most crazy about the Mormon church. The Book of Mormon, what do they call it? Another revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm like, what was wrong with the first revelation? Why do I need another revelation? I've got all I need already in the first revelation. Why on earth would I need another revelation? And the thing that's really driving me crazy is the other revelation directly contradicts the first revelation. One of my favorite things to do when the Mormons come over is to invite them in for supper and ask if they want to stay overnight. <laughs> then the second thing I do is say, let's get our Bibles out and let's just talk about the differences between the Word of God and the Book of Mormon. Well, until they figure out who I am. <laughs> then they hit the road and never come back. All right, so you see the point that it can't be of God if it contradicts God. It just makes sense, doesn't it? So again, I, I always get squirrely when people say, God told me. What I like to say when, when people say to me, God told me to do this, I go, what verse was that? What, where'd you see that in the Bible? Point that one out to me. Because if it's not, I don't want to hear it. I just don't. There's just too much sin and brokenness in the world that gets in the way of God revealing his will that I don't trust myself. And I don't trust others that say that. I just say, give me the word. All I want is the word. Now, again, I need to just say, not everybody agrees with that philosophy, but I'm a big word guy. <laughs> I'm a big Bible guy. I'm a big, that's all we need, guy. I don't need to have a revelation. I don't need God to speak to me. I don't need God to slap me upside the head with some truth because I have all the truth I need in the scriptures. Follow me? All right. But I feel, oh, we talked about that. I feel this is God's will. So why is it important to accurately discover God's will? Duh, right? 
what did St. Paul say? Because if you do, if you do, you know, if you've dedicated yourself, if you've insulated yourself, if your mind is being transformed, renewed by the Word of God, then guess what's going to happen? You'll be able to test and approve what God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Wouldn't you love to be a master of that? Wouldn't you love to know every decision you make, this is God's will or this isn't God's will? Wouldn't you love to know every uh, way of how you arrange your time, your talents, what you do with your life? This is. I've tested this. I understand that this is God's will and this isn't. You know that's not a pipe dream. You know that's not impossible for you to have. St. Paul has laid out the path for you to be able to test, approve what God's will is. It's not impossible because God is with you and he's going to work through this process to enable you to do that. All right? So let's look at what does it mean, these words. God's will is good. Isn't it good to be in God's will? Isn't it good to be where God wants you to be? I call that the sweet spot. You know, uh, if you were to sit down on a piece of paper and just like write your spiritual journey of life, you know, like, uh, like here I was really down in the dumps. I was really far away from God. And then here, two years later, I, I had this great, found this great church, and I was really worshiping on fire for Jesus. But then I lost my job, and I doubted God. You know, you could do like a, a path of your life, could you? Your ups and downs in life. Where are your happiest times? Right? Where's your best times when you're in the sweet spot? It doesn't mean that everything around you is good during those times. Often, it's just the opposite, isn't it? I find that God does his best work when I'm at my lowest. I find I feel God's love and presence for me when I'm struggling the most, not when I'm at the best. Do you know what I'm saying? God's will is good. It's good to be in the sweet spot, isn't it? It's good to be living in his presence and in his will. And, and when, when you see, is, is there anything better, people, when, when you do something that God works through to accomplish a plan? You do something, you invite someone to church and they come and they just come to know the Lord. You help someone that needs help and they say to you later, I don't know how I would have ever gotten through that if you wouldn't have been praying for me. Don't you just go, ooh, it's good to be in the sweet spot. God's will is good. Amen? Amen? So he says you can get this. You know, you can test God's will. You can live there. His will is good. He also says his will is pleasing. Now, again, the Greek word for this is much more than just God's will is pleasing to me. God's will is pleasing especially to God. That's what's in this word. All right, so let this boggle your brain a little bit. When you discern God's will, when you hear God's will, when you do God's will, when you're living in the sweet spot and the kingdom of God is growing and there's fruit and beautiful things happen, it pleases God. Right? I mean, you can please your Father. You know, you can make God smile. The creator and author of the universe one day is going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Will there ever be better words that you could ever hear? Right? 
Nothing compares to that. Nothing. Nothing ever. Mark? So this word pleasing, right? God's will is not just pleasing to you, but when you do it, you're pleasing God. Holy smokes. So the challenge that I'm having is that if we're out there trying to do what is pleasing to God, don't we run the risk of we're thinking we're trying to earn what God has already given us? No. I mean, I hope not. Because we've had 11 chapters of learning it doesn't work that way. Right. No, I understand So now we're that. in a different I mean, place. Right. Because I think Paul, when in this chapter, he turned it around. He flipped it. From the, the theology or whatever. Mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. So yeah. I was just thinking, if people are out there thinking, I got one be good, I want to be good, I want to be good. I'm thinking some people and say, it's because, you know, it's, uh, it's because they're trying to earn God's. Sure. That's a danger. Okay. We can always fall. I'm doing this because it's making God proud of me. That's why I do it. But no, I'm doing it because that's what God made me to be. And because of that, he's proud of me. So okay. you're right. It's a danger. For some could, people, I we think we could fall into that. Trying to think that they have to earn right. what God has already to given God. us to please God. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So his will is good. His will is pleasing. And then there's this word. He's perfect. Telios. Telios means it's reached its end. It is absolutely completed in all of its parts and pieces. So when we do God's will, we have completed his purpose for us. We are, we've accomplished the reason that he has placed us here in this world. And it all stems from being able to test and approve what God's will is for us in our lives. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Good stuff. So let's do a quick review. How does this work, right? Three things we've learned tonight. Here's what we say, right? First, I don't understand what you want me to do with my life, God. But regardless of what it is, I want to do what you want me to do. And I commit myself to you in advance, wholesale, total dedication. You make that promise to God. That's step one. That's this dedication thing we talked about, remember? Then we say, Lord, I'm not going to take my cues from what other people say, from the standards of the world or TV or social media. I want to tune into what you have to say, right? So we've committed ourselves to following the Lord. We've committed ourselves to tuning into his word. And then the third step is I'm going to fill my mind with your word as you use it to transform my mind and make good decisions just like Jesus did. When we do that, we will know God's will. It will become clear and plain to us. All right? We, when we do that, we will be following and walking with the Lord at all times and all ways. That's what St. Paul has laid out for us in these two verses. Good, everybody? <laughs> sure. Next week, what does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? And how can I become all that God wants me to be? St. Paul is going to give us this great uh, picture of all of us joined together in the body of Christ. God working in us and through us to accomplish great things. You liking it, everybody? Great. God bless you. We'll see you again.